What's up, everyone? This is Robert Ross with the Nomad Business and Lifestyle Podcast. Do you daydream about quitting your job, walking away from your 9-to-5 corporate lifestyle, but curious how other people afford their lives traveling and living in a far-off location? Ten years ago, I quit my financial services job, sold everything I owned, and moved to a small surf town in coastal Ecuador with nothing but my dog, six surfboards, and a suitcase. Since then, I built a large hotel and real estate business in Montanita, Ecuador, called the Mi Hotel and Villas, Montanita Estates. But most importantly, I created the environment where I can focus my energy in every minute of the day doing exactly what I want to do, whether it's spending time with my family, surfing, kite surfing, and growing the Mi Hotel. Along the way, I've spent countless hours meeting and talking to others who have traded in their corporate lifestyles to take control of their future, enjoying the life of the nomadic traveler and business abroad. On this podcast, I'm going to share my experiences and those of others that are following their passions of living in exotic locations, while most importantly, continuing to earn and create business opportunities. thought about moving to an exotic beach, opening a bar club or restaurant, and focusing on your lifestyle rather than looking at a computer at your desk all day long. My good friend Ariel Pellegrino did just that. In this excerpt from a recent interview I did with Ariel, we focus on the details of the cost of opening up your bar or restaurant in paradise. How much does it cost to start a bar club in your piece of paradise? How much do employees cost? How much is rent? What about permits, taxes, and all the red tape that makes opening a bar in the U.S. so difficult? If you're curious, I know you'll love this conversation. Sorry, why don't you uh, give us some, you ended up coming back to, to Montanita, settling, and that was really exciting. I got to know you a bit, and you started Pocoloco. Why don't you take us through starting a business in Montanita um, and what it was like and, and what it took? Sure. So the further I got from here, you know, after leaving here the first time, just on vacation, I was thinking, you know, this place is awesome. I'll come back here to visit, but I, I never, I never live here. It's just it's too much. Uh, but the further I got away, the more I missed it, and the more, wow, this place is—it's paradise. You know, it's not perfect. It's far from perfect. Um, it's not the most beautiful beach, but there's so many like little things about this place that you combine them, and it just makes it, you know, a little slice of heaven over here. Um, so I decided uh, I'm going to move here. So I finished uh, I finished up my trip. I continued traveling for a few more months just to finish, say, all the beaches in, in Central America that I can visit just to make sure that this is uh, the right decision. And moved back to the States where I used to do uh, retail, well, seasonal retail, retail for more for like the holiday season. Um, so I did that for another season um, uh, where I'd open uh, kiosks in the malls for holiday season uh so i did that another uh for another season in texas where i make some more uh, to make some more money and then move back move down here so like you said uh i had a little bit of money and i wanted to uh, live my dream you know i didn't come here to make millions of dollars so i came here to live a dream so i came with two suitcases by then i already knew a few people that i met here really nice people who uh, really welcomed me came uh, with two suitcases sold everything i had back in the states one-way ticket to ecuador and um Got to my friend's place, stayed here, uh, stayed by my friends for a couple weeks and started to uh, look for places to rent, to open up a, a bar. Where I wanted to open a bar because that was, uh, it's always been a dream of mine. And growing up in Israel, at a very young age, I started working at a bar um, all the way from washing washing the, the bar, the, the, the dishes to uh, the manager of the place. 
So that was always my dream to open a bar. So I said, all right, I'm going to open up a little bar. Braggers make enough money to live. I could get into surfing, sit on the hammock, drink a coconut, just just live a stress-free life, lifestyle. That's what I wanted. Um, so I got here and I just started looking, uh, started making a lot more, uh, where I met you, started making a lot more friends and um, and started looking for the place, for the right place to, um, to open. So I found the place. And the idea was to open a small, a small hole in the wall kind of bar, but it ended up being a uh, pretty big uh, uh, bar restaurant. It was a really uh, interesting experience, you know, doing uh, business for the first time in a country like this. Um, and I learned, I learned a whole lot. So let's just take our listeners through what it takes to start a, because you did too. You've got a, you've got kind of a crazy club now, but the bar restaurant. Let's say somebody wanted to start a bar restaurant. How much was your rent at the bar restaurant? And then how much did you spend kind of building it out? Um, and then what's a chef cost? What's a, what, what what's a waitress cost? Just to give people a sense of what it would cost to start a bar restaurant here. Right. So I ended up uh, partnering up with a friend of mine who already had a place here. He had the location, which is what I really liked. Um, I met him when I was first here. Uh, we're from the same country, so we became friends pretty quickly. Um so yeah, so I was looking for a for for a place to rent to open up my bar, where I already had the name plans, and I uh, wanted like a little, you know, hole in the wall just to, just to have fun working, um, not no stress, not work too much, and just spend the time learning how to surf and uh, being in the nature, buy a motorcycle, um, visit more places in Ecuador, and just have a good time. Um, so I ended up finding a, a place that I really liked that my friend, a friend of mine who I met here, was already renting. So I decided to, to go in partners with him in the place. Uh, changed the name, changed the whole place, invested, uh, I put in about 15 grand to fix it up. Um, so there was about another 15 grand invested before I went in. So in total, I'd say about 30 grand um, to make the place what we want, what I want, what I wanted to make it. The new name, uh, kitchen, bar, restaurant, um, and everything. There was also some dancing there when it would get late. Um, and yeah, so running it running it was interesting it's completely different than uh than than running the nightclub that i that i do now um we'd have the chef and the waitresses where basically i just pay everybody uh except for the chefs but most of the people were just getting paid minimum wage which would come out to about a dollar 70 an hour um so chef we, we tried a few different ones uh chef would run about 700 a month or 800 a month basically between six to eight hundred dollars a month to, for a chef so one thing I realized I missed in this conversation was how much rent is in a place like Montanita, a surf town with about a thousand people where you can open a bar. Uh, generally, rent runs from about $400 for a small kind of area for a bar up to if you're in the main part of town and you want to have a bar club that can hold <clears throat> hundreds of people, uh, you're looking at about a thousand to $1,500 per month if you want to rent. The alternative is to buy, and that's a subject for another conversation. Yeah, okay. And then I know you had kind of like a – it was like a comfortable um, comfortable lifestyle. You're doing everything you wanted to do when we had the earthquake hit. And so, I, so you took off, and then you came back. Um, maybe talk a little bit about why you decided to come back and the, uh, the second iteration of Poco Loco, which was a crazy success um, yeah. where I – and there's on a on a given night there might be a thousand people in a line around the around a line around the corner to get in. So maybe take yeah. us through that. Right. So um, yeah, I, I was happy. Everything was fine. Everything was good. Uh, I was paying rent, working, 
um, slow pace, you know, had a great team uh, of friends from every different country. I had a staff from uh, from Mexico, Colombia, Venezuela, Argentina, France, Chile, just all working together, all happy family there. Um, and uh, things were doing things were doing good. I wasn't making uh, you know, a lot of money, but I was making what I wanted to make to, to live off. And I was just having a great time. I was traveling around Ecuador uh, and other countries, um, learning how to surf, spending time in the water, you know, making uh, having a good time in general. Um, and then that, the earthquake hit and really uh, affected the economy. Here. So the whole town just shut down. And, uh, I was this at this point. I had the place for about a year and a half. It was uh, the best experience of my life at that time, and I decided, uh, all right, it's time to move on. You know, I'm, uh, I'm getting a little older. I, t- I took a pa- kind of pause on life, um, but I got to think of my future. You know, this is not going to buy me any uh, real estate and uh, help me build my future. So I said, all right, I learned Spanish. I had an amazing time. It's time to move on. So I decided to close the bar um, and go look for a beach town like Montanita with uh where i can make some more money so like we were we were talking about bocas del toro and costa rica you know all these beach towns are a lot more expensive too and there's a lot more money there so as a bar or any business you can uh, potentially make a lot more so i went again i think this was my uh, sixth time to panama and costa rica i went back to hawaii where my dad's from hawaii um so i went i went there i went to puerto rico i went to all these different beach towns where i where, where i thought I, you know, I feel the same as I did in Montanita, but where the economy is just a little better, it's more expensive to where I make more money. But in none of these uh, beach towns where, where there was a few beach towns in Panama that I went to, a few in Costa Rica, um, and then there was Mexico, uh, Hawaii, and Puerto Rico. And I went, uh, again, I went with some money, ready to do the same thing again. But in none of these uh, beach towns did I feel like I felt here. And I just, in all these, uh, in the back of my head, just towns, I'm just comparing. This is not it. This is not it, Ariel. You got back. And why don't you take us through starting Poco Loco here? Again. Right. So when I left, uh, I made some really good friends here. Uh, one of them is uh, my, my current business partner named Carlos. Um and when I left, we always uh, talked about plans because I was also doing some big pool parties here before I left. Uh, he used to help me with uh, with with his sound system from the club, um, you know. And when I left, we always, you know, just, you know, just talking about it was never a concrete plan or anything, but always uh, just for the hell of it saying, yeah, one day we're going to do this together because the pool parties I used to make were so good. He has uh, a couple nightclubs, uh, amazing location. And, you know, we we're just thinking playing around with the idea that one, one day we'll partner up and make something huge together. Um, and then uh, when I was, I was actually in Costa Rica in the beach town um, where I, where I said, this is where I'm going to move to. And then being there for two weeks, just talking to the locals, talking to the people I, I, I met over there and deciding uh, that that's not the place I want to be. And I want to move back here. I messaged uh, my friend um, from Costa Rica and say, Hey, what's going on? And we just started talking and said, all right, I'm coming back to Ecuador. Let's see if we can do something. Um, so I decided to come back here. I, I literally bought a ticket uh, from Costa Rica to Miami and back to uh, Ecuador. And then when I got here, um, the idea was uh, to do a club together in one of his properties that uh, it's already it was already a nightclub. Um, and uh, we decided to partner up and change. Uh, I changed the name. I basically changed everything about the place and uh, manage it. 
And now, thank God, it's a, it's a huge success. Like within a year, the place became famous throughout the whole country. Um, thousands of people visited during a, during a weekend. Uh, big lines at the door when we opened. Um, we, we had to build another floor, actually, to fit more people in. <laughs> Literally, we built a floor. Um, you remember there, my, uh, our, our opening night, which was my birthday, uh, last December. Um, so that was the day we opened up the, uh, the second floor that could fit about 300 more people. And the club was oh, right. yeah. How many people does Pocolopo hold? At once, it holds about 800 people at the same time. But during a night, there's like on a busy Saturday, there's more than 1,500 people going in and out. Wow. Wow. And then, um, so yeah, so you're open three days a week, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly. And you've got a DJ. Maybe describe Poco Loco a little bit so you get a sense of what it is. Sure. So Poco Loco, um, which is the same name of the bar that I, that I first opened, uh, we decided to, uh, to to keep the name. Basically, the new club, I call it the name of the bar that I used to have. And um, so this place is, uh, the spot is right at the end of Cocktail Alley on the beach. So it's a great location, first of all. And uh, it's big. And then we have we have DJs. We have uh, we invite other DJs on big nights and holiday weekends and uh, busy Saturdays. We have security. We have uh, just bartenders. Uh, we have uh, six people working in the bar. We have a bar upstairs, bar downstairs. We have waiters, um, you know, busboys, the whole thing. On on a busy Saturday or on a holiday weekend, we have about thirty people working in the place at once. So mm-hmm. going from, from this poco loco, from the other poco loco to this one, it's uh, it's completely different. Did you say you said 30 people working at once? Yeah. Okay, cool. And then um, did, did you invest more in this one or was it about the same investment? No. So in this one, I didn't um, – the, the deal that I made with my business, my current business partners, I didn't have to – well, first of all, because the place was already a nightclub, it didn't need much change uh, um, from the get-go. But then mm-hmm. as we kept on, we kept on uh, working, then we put in uh, uh, more money from the, from the profits of the business. But uh, mm-hmm. I didn't have to put any – my deal here is uh, – I didn't have to put any money from the get-go. Yeah. And so you kind of took a percentage of the business because it's a yes. guy that you do. That's great. Yeah. So can you take us through like a typical day or a typical week for you, um, surfing, living your life, and managing the club here in Montanita? Yeah. So it, it yeah, let's, uh, it, it's not really true. It wouldn't be really traditional because um, especially during the first, especially in a country like this, you know, getting a business off the ground is uh, is pretty hectic. It's nonstop, and so the first I'd say six months of this Poco Loco, where I had to hire full the whole crew. You know, there's nobody working there that used to work there, so I had to hire a whole new crew and train them. And this is a different language, um, and explain basically turn the whole place into what what you believe in, right? Um, mm-hmm. So that's a full time job. So even if we're we're only open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, but I'm working Sunday to Saturday or Monday to Sunday every single week. Um, and then especially with the renovations, because as I mentioned, you know, we, we were making more money and then we kept on renovating and renovating and renovating. So the place is still till today where we're, we kept renovating more and more. Um, but yeah, we'd open Thursday, Friday, Saturday, we'd open at 10 or 10 30 PM and we'd open, we'd be open till 4 AM. Um, and during the week I'd, uh, you know, if I'd have a, a more laid back week, I can, uh, spend, you know, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday at the beach, uh, surfing, hanging out, doing some trips around here, you know, more, uh, uh, more chill, and then Thursday, Friday, mm-hmm. Saturday, I'd be at the at the nightclub, uh, hands on, uh, managing it. 
Well, I know, um, I think it was two months ago, you called me in a panic and you said, man, I'm so busy. I don't have any time. Should I get an assistant? What should I do? What, uh, what, what's so busy about your day from, from the club, just to give people an idea? Right. So, yeah, I'm, I might have called you uh, uh, like that probably more than once, <laughs> where I have been <laughs> at a few, po- a few points like that. But uh, it'd be a lot more than two months ago, actually. Um, two months ago, actually, before the coronavirus started, I was in, we were in a, in a, oh in a great place. Like, we're literally four times busier than we were the year before. But by then, I already have you know ma- other managers. I have people helping me. I have a staff who's been with me for a year, for six months, depending on whom. But uh, it, everything was running smoothly. But uh, the crazy things I have to go through is basically, so imagine you have 30 people working, that every single one of them, you have to explain and show, not just explain, in, in a language that's not your, uh, um, you know, your first language, how you want the things done. And now you have to, you have to remember this is things that, that they're not used to because um, they don't have it here. These are things we bring from other countries and from traveling and from the States and from Israel and a combination of all these different countries where what we want to bring here and what we're doing here in the nightclub. So you're, you're explaining to, to people how to, how to act differently and how to behave differently and how to work differently, but on a scale that they've never, and I'm sure you, you, you have the same, same thing in the hotel, you know, because your hotel is a fantastic hotel. You know, you, you go and you have American, American uh, style service, you know. I remember when I first opened up, um, there was, I, I, I would bring in a guest and I had a cleaning person and I'd say, you know, we have to make the, we have to make up the room and, uh, you know, can you make the bed? And I would walk into the room before the guest arrived and there was literally the, the, the mattress was bare and the sheets were in the corner of the bed and I'd go and find the cleaning <laughs> person and she'd make the bed and they'd say, I did. I was like, what are you talking about? <laughs> about, you know, cleaning people. That's hilarious. Yeah, they've never stayed in a hotel before. Exactly. Um, so they just don't know the service levels required, and to the point where they didn't even know how to make a bed properly, um, exactly. even though they knew it was a hotel. So, and they're the, the sweetest, gentlest people in the world. But there's a lot of training that goes on in order to run exactly. business. Can you? Um, I want to take a step back. I know a lot of people in the U.S. Um, when they want to start a club, the, you know, the licenses, the liquor licenses, the permitting, they just kind of like. You almost want to quit before you even start. What's it like in Montanita with licenses and permitting, just to give people an idea of kind of what they're up against? Right. So here it's not that complicated at all. I I looked into it in the States too, and it is just a nightmare, and it's a lot of money. Here it's not that complicated. Um, At the same time, it is, uh, you know, somewhat, not a third world country, I wouldn't call it, but, you know, somewhat there. So it does help to know people and, you know, um, know the right people. But it's nothing, it, it doesn't cost nothing close, not a fraction of the cost of what it is uh, that it costs in the States um, to get all the licensing here. And it's, it's, not, it's not too complicated. So, yeah. So what I'll generally do for the hotel is, is I'll pay a, a handler. Um, and one of the things about Montanita is it's about an hour from, from where you go and get the permits. You really don't need them. Like even when I'm, I'm building a home, um, I'll generally build a home and by the time the home is done, I'll go and get the permit. Um, same goes with the hotel, you know, you're just trying to have it in the same year. Um, right. and it's only a couple thousand dollars, it's not expensive to permit it. Yeah. Um, it is, it is a bureaucracy. Like you need to pay someone to deal exactly. with all the people that you need to pay off in order to get it done. 
Exactly. Yeah. And the first Poco Loco I had, I, I paid, uh, you know, our mutual friend, Mikhail, I actually paid his wife to do all the all the paperwork for us in the first Poco Loco. And then in this one now, um, since it was already a club, it had the permits for the year. So it just need, needed to be renewed and uh, paid for. So tell me about what you have planned for the future of Poco Loco now that you had all this tremendous success in Montanita. Right. So, yeah. So honestly, I, I, I wasn't expecting the success that it that, that like I, I couldn't I couldn't see it because going from the Poco Loco the first Poco Loco which was a regular bar restaurant you know where I do where I have no experience in restaurants so I had to learn it the hard way and literally everything I'd make on the alcohol I'd lose on the restaurant part because I you know no experience um, so going from that to a nightclub of 800 people 1,000 people charging entrance with a line around the corner you know thank God um, I wasn't really expecting or I couldn't really see see it when I first opened that it would be that way and that fast. Um, so now with that success, you know, before the coronavirus, obviously, um, it's something I want to bring to more to more cities. I want to see it in more places in Ecuador. Um, people who come to Montanita from all different parts of Ecuador and the world, but uh, most of our customers are, are Ecuadorian actually, and they they just love Poco Loco. So I want to bring it to uh, some more cities around Ecuador. Thanks for listening in today. I hope everybody enjoyed the conversation with Ariel. If you'd like to learn more about Ariel and how he ended up in Montanita, please tune in to the full interview wherever you found the Nomad Business and Lifestyle Podcast. Take care, everyone.